Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. 
As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Iski, yeah. welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, hey, Srini. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Sarah Peck, who has been a guest here and also a referral source for lots of amazing guests. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, uh, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today? Oh, wow. Um, I can take a deep inhalation for this one. <laughs> Because really, the story goes, yeah, I think I need to follow follow the thread right back, um, probably you know to the very beginning or maybe even a little bit before, um, because it's a story that's been shaped by where I grew up um, on the northwest coast of Ireland in Donegal, and just right on the edge, you know, where the land meets the sea, literally, and, and uh, my whole life has been about this relationship and connection I've had with the sea and surfing. But, you know, where does that even come from at a time, I guess, when I grew up and in the middle of nowhere, there's there's no cool surfing culture or anyone doing that. Um, no one even to aspire to, except I just happened to be born into uh, this pioneering surfing family in Ireland, <laughs> which was pretty unusual back then. But my dad and his brothers um, were actually some of the first surfers ever in Ireland um, and pioneered the sport. And the story, really, how even they came to it is really quite fascinating and makes me really understand what's happening in my life a lot better now. And it's it sort of feels like it's something that's been this almost this heritage that's been passed on, like the way you have this genetic code, <laughs> but it's been through uh, stories. Uh, and yeah, this this connection, I suppose, through the through the family line of um, my uh, starting with my grandmother, who um, in the 1960s she she set up her own hotel on this beach in Rusnala in Donegal, really remote. And at that time too, it was quite an adventurous thing to do really, to enter into like the tourism industry in Ireland. Um, we don't exactly have sunshine to sell, nor did <laughs> have surfing then either. So, <laughs> and uh, she actually was in, in the States in the sixties promoting um, tourism in Ireland um, abroad. And uh, she ended up in California. Uh, in Malibu of all places and perfect timing because it was the 60s you had the whole uh, Gidget scene Beach Boys all that kicking off again with this renaissance in, in surfing and contemporary surf culture but you know my uh, my Nana kind of wasn't really aware of any of that except that when she checked into her hotel looks out of her window and sees the waves rolling in at Malibu and thinks hang on a minute I've got we've got like, better waves than this at home in Donegal, <laughs> outside, <laughs> outside my house, outside her hotel. And I, I don't know what, what uh, really sparked for her. Unfortunately, she's not around um, anymore to have this discussion. But what she did was she decided to bring back two surfboards. Um, and I think her intention was more like she was a real savvy businesswoman. Her intention was more to maybe have it for tourists or as a piece of, you know, memorabilia maybe to put on the wall. Um, except you come back with this, you know, really exotic, <laughs> exotic thing and you have five boys. And my dad and his brothers saw it and got their hands on it. And, and I suppose almost the rest is history, as they say. Hmm. Um, but really, I mean, when they when uh, they started surfing, they hadn't a clue what it all meant, uh, how to even do it. There was no trend to follow. 
um, for like the first year, they're just lying down um, before they see a traveling surfer um, standing up on a surfboard. So they had no reference material or, or guidelines for how you should do it. And then it's Ireland, right? So there's uh, the case of the cold water. I mean, you have to be pretty hardcore. <laughs> and uh, I grew up, you know, with these stories of how my dad and his brothers, they had one one of those old dive suits, um, two pieces, and they'd have to, you know, flip a coin to see who'd get, you know, which half. Um, <laughs> and um, and then, you know, layer up in these sort of thick woolly uh, jumpers, these Irish uh, knit jumpers that Dad said when they got wet, they'd just go right down to your knees, you know. Mm-hmm. That would nearly drown you. But they, yeah, they got hooked, and uh, my grandmother inadvertently, you know, created a and her, as she would have said, a bunch of beach bums. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they stuck at it, and, and I I kind of came to it through that by just being born into this really unusual way of life back then, and uh, and still surfing with my dad to this day, who's just turned sixty. Um, and my mum has some interesting stories from back in the day too of uh, having to. It was still an unacceptable sort of fringe thing that was frowned upon by more mainstream. Um, so she sort of had to like hide it from her parents for a while. And um, I guess my introduction to it was really, really different. I feel like I've just been born to the sea. I don't ever remember life before surfing. Mm. Um, so it's funny when people ask me what was that first experience like because <laughs> I just can't imagine my life without it yeah hmm. well you know there's there's so much here that that I want to dig into uh you know I think that one of the really interesting things you said at the, the very beginning of that is this idea of being born literally on the edge where the land meets the sea and I can't help but think that there are these kinds of edges on our own lives but we don't know how to look for them or if we miss them. And I'm really interested uh, in your thoughts on how we uncover what those edges might be in our own lives. Mm, that's such a fascinating question. I almost feel, now that you say it, that this has been like the quest, even in my life, that I've been always looking for an edge. And I think it comes down to this feeling of, um, for me, always growing up on the edge in terms of not fully belonging in, in any one world. Like I, I got into surfing before it was cool. Uh, grew up somewhere so isolated. So um, my playmate actually was the ocean. <laughs> um, and then I had that as a sort of, you know, that guiding force in my life. But yeah, these edges, I think um, I've been able to explore them um, literally through applying the metaphor of, of when you're riding a wave, you literally are on this edge constantly between you're just, a, you know, a, a breath away from crashing and falling and getting tossed or, or flying, you know. Um, and it's like you have to maintain this, this whole, this space and tension on this edge all the time um, because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what the wave's going to throw at you. Um, and I mean, I find a lot of life is like that and even increasingly so. Um, and for me, that's where I feel most alive. So I'm actually drawn to edges when I think about it, which it can be uh, my whole life. I mean, it can be a dangerous thing, but it's also about uh, that. I think that's where we, we find that those sparks for the creativity. And when we really get into flow and things like that, that sense of freedom, it comes not when we're in a comfort zone, but when we're we go to that edge. You know, so it's interesting. Um, you mentioned this idea of a guiding force and also the comfort zone, which, you know, the one (laughs) question that raises for me is how you start to learn how to trust that that guiding force will lead you somewhere good. Uh, even if it is outside of your comfort zone. Oh yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, and it's hard because it, it requires so much trust. Um, and and then, you know, you have these moments uh, which you're almost driven by in the constantly seeking um, that moment of joy or stoke or the heightened experience that you get. But you can't maintain that all the time. Um, and the hardest part is actually the coming back to shore. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you 
carry and maintain that like when you go through these flat spells let's say in life <laughs> um the lull the flatland the, the struggle where it isn't all um you know especially when for people like us and who surf and um are drawn to these edges um how do you I suppose in a way it's like hold back from in a sense what I'm trying to get at is that there's that addictive tendency mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Um, that can be not healthy as well and we still need to cope with coming back to shore in order to um, I guess almost let the real experience fullness of that experience sink in when we have these big moments in our lives Um, and I think the only way to do that is to to give ourselves space Um, I think the thing that we forget um, especially as observers of say again relating it back to something like surfing is that you always see the the wave riding and think that that's what it's all about but like 90 percent of surfing is is uh having to wait observe (laughs) be patient um you know the spaces in between the waves are actually occupies the most amount of time Uh Um, but they're really important um how we are in those spaces and how we use them um i i think that that's where yeah if we can use that i suppose to to let it all sink in you know, it's it's interesting because you know when you describe that space between waves, I think about uh, any creative career in which you know you'll see a creative person who kind of hits rhythm. It's kind of like one wave after another, and I only know this because I've experienced it. And then they're in a flat spell, and uh, <laughs> amazingly enough, it's in that space between waves where you actually grow the most. Yes, absolutely. Be- because I'm. We have this tendency, and I'm someone who really wants to race, you know, from one thing to the next, like to move really fast to uh, to catch the next wave, <laughs> constantly seeking and searching and, and never actually comfortable with being still. Um, but it's that... Um, yeah, I think if we don't allow ourselves that, then there's also that, I mean, the tendency to when we are really creative to burn out or to, to stagnate or you, know, you just don't get a chance to take a step back and observe. It's like a lot of time before you even charge out into the water, you have to, to spend time observing the lineup or you find yourself at a new break mm-hmm. or entering new territory. And sometimes you're out there for maybe three hours and you don't even catch a wave, but that's not wasted time. Because you're you're observing, you're awakening and tuning in to to the the mood and the the uh, characteristics of of a place. Mm-hmm. It's like you're sort of yeah, really getting a feel for it. I suppose. Um, I just find any time you go in the water, it isn't isn't a wasted time. Right. <laughs> Even if you know you um, if you're able to, I suppose, let go of uh, of those expectations. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I I can relate that to writing and to creating anything. I mean, I have these extended periods in which it feels literally like nothing is happening, but I'm still writing every day. Not many people are reading, you know, not much is happening. And yet, all of that is preparation for something much bigger. Uh, And, you know, I always say it's like you show up on the shitty days, because if you show up on the shitty days, you'll be prepared for the really good ones. Right, exactly. Um and yeah, and it's that, um, like I've experienced it too with, um, I think a lot of, of surfing and, and being in this, un, any kind of unpredictable environment, um, and a creative process is a lot to do with like let, having to let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, but that, you know, people say that all the time and I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's, but it's a constant process and it's also a lot harder than you think because it, it requires you to put trust in the unknown like you don't know what the outcome is going to be and then you can also when you really let go I I'm always terrified of stopping because I, I'm just waiting for all my you know my system to crash <laughs> that you know you discover all these like because the tension releases that you're holding too and you discover all these aches and you never knew you had and <laughs> it's um yeah it's not easy as well um I think that's yeah, people forget that mm-hmm um, so sometimes, yeah, it's best just yeah, to, to keep surfing. And as soon as you stop, you notice that it was actually taking it out of you. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I'm interested in out of personal curiosity is having only surfed as an adult, um, what the contrast is from having had that experience, you know, as a really young child 
to you know having a, as an adult and how it makes you see the world differently and how it's different as a kid versus how it is as an adult because you know, mm-hmm. I, like I look at it as an adult, I understand that it's this tremendously spiritual journey, but I can't imagine a kid even has any concept of how spiritual <laughs> of, of what it is, you know, a thing it is. And I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so again, it goes back to that thing when people ask me, you know, oh, you always ask, what was it like your first wave? And um, I, I can't, I can't recall it because it's, just I was always in the sea. Um, I probably maybe started actually riding on like a surfboard standing up when I was from when I was four years old. Um, and funnily enough, though, one of the things I do remember, and I think this will like tap into like, I think what the difference is, is a lot to do with mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that sort of free, open curiosity that you have that's so innate as a child, like the playfulness aspect. And literally that you, you're not sort of trying to force your will on something. <laughs> but that said, even at that young age, I was probably like four or five. So this is my earliest surfing memory um, of my dad taking me surfing. Uh, it was you know quite a big day. And he pushes me off on a wave and I don't have my balance right and I get tossed. And I get, you know, you're getting tossed around by the wave, washing machine. And then I try to come up and the board's over my head. And so I can't surface right away. And and eventually, I guess because I I would never remember being scared though, if that if that makes sense. But um, I do remember when I came up. I just remembered you know, all I had to do was put my feet down um, <laughs> because we hadn't gone out that far. And then you just push the board out of the way. But I came up when I was sort of flustered and coughing water. And and then my dad, his reaction was unbelievable. He was laughing at me. Mm-hmm. I remember I, that just made me furious because then <laughs> I had this, like, this little ego in me. <laughs> was, a, I didn't want to be told what to do, and then I couldn't believe that, you know, like, that dad was laughing at this, like, serious moment. But really what I got out of that in the end, I think what he was really trying to teach me, um, was just the importance of um, of laughing when in sometimes needing to laugh in really serious situations or when the shit really hits the fan mm-hmm. or that. So that's something that I've always carried through with me that um, that one of just not taking yourself too seriously. And also the, if you do the ocean, the ocean tosses you around and you come up, it's almost to tap into, I suppose that it also feels exhilarating. Um, I know for some reason that experience just stuck with me and it's, it's really helped me not hold fear around those situations anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which I know, and then also as kids, it can almost, it can be the opposite effect if they have a scary water experience. Um, but I, I do find now teaching surfing and I, I have a mix of, I, I love having kids and just um, the energy is so different. But I find them with adults, it's because they really want it broken down. They're like analyzing, you know, why does it work this way? <laughs> um, you know, uh, trying to, yeah, I suppose trying to almost seek control of the situation which is utterly impossible (laughs) and it's hard for us to let go of that because that's what we've got we've sort of lost the playfulness and it's all been about being trained to be the experts in something yeah so as adults uh, I mean how do you translate that and then you know how do you how do you bring that sense of playfulness back to your life as an adult uh, because I, I, you know, I, I happen to agree with you. Like we take things way too seriously and I'm one of those people, even though I'm a surfer, I can't, I sometimes have difficulty translating the lessons from surfing into my own life. Yes, I know. Right. It's very easy to talk about it, but <laughs> it's one thing, uh, applying it. Um, yeah, I get really caught up in it too. And it's like, I have to like, check myself and go, Oh, hang on a moment. Like like you say, if we're too long out of the water, we notice what I call like withdrawal symptoms um, and that you, you need to get back in the sea just to relax and chill out. Um, it's, I guess it comes from like what I mentioned maybe earlier about finding those spaces, like creating those spaces, the moments to, to just pause and take a breath. Um, I think what, I, what we can apply from, my experience at least of being out in the water and surfing and what comes from that play from this childlike mind is that like the beginner's mindset, which comes from just really, I think the art of noticing Mm -hmm. 
um, it has really been lost because when you're out there surfing, you're constantly, or you're in the sea in a constantly changing environment, you're constantly ob- making observations, um, tuning in with all of your senses and you're very much in the moment and it's constantly changing. So it's, uh, it's really incredible act of like presence or mindfulness in action is much easier in that scenario when you're in the surf for example mm-hmm. and it's trying to find that on land just comes from yeah almost like posting these reminders for ourselves to actually almost to unplug <laughs> disconnect hit pause uh to really get connected to our surroundings by mm-hmm. just beginning to make those really small observations again yeah it's it, that, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I mean, it, it, I can you know in those moments when I can actually translate what I've learned in the water into land, life works. And when I don't, that's when I run into problems. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to think of a few examples myself, but. Uh, yeah, and it, it's been funny because surfing's been such a constant force in my life. It hasn't been something up until more recently that I've even been really conscious mm-hmm. um, about its impact because it's just almost, not that I've taken it for granted, but it's just been like, yeah, this is how it's always been, um, which is rare to have something, I suppose, that runs through your life, like from my past and even beyond, like having that history all the way through to to the present that's being something that's such a powerful force, but also a constant one. And now I'm beginning to appreciate it much more, um, I suppose, at this stage, that sort of transition and turning in your life when you hit your late 20s and <laughs> and you start doing more exploration of the inner kind as well as the outer. You know, I was really like out in the world um, exploring for a long time. Mm. But seeing now that, that that's pioneering thread, let's say, is has been there all along too. You know, that that's actually what I'd love to spend the rest of our time talking about. You know, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I meet people in the water, and when I hear that they've surfed for 40 or 50 years, I think, wow, like, this is such a deep part of your identity. Like, it, it's it's actually a fundamental part of who you are. And I just don't know how many of us grow up having this sort of constant force in our life or this constant in our life that is such a tremendous part of our identity. And... I'm really interested in how that shapes your sense of purpose and mission in life to have a sense of, of uh, some sort of constant in your life, especially, you know, having grown up with this and this heritage. And if we don't have it, where we go about finding that thing that may become the constant for the rest of our lives, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Well, there's just big things to explore here. Um Maybe what it's just triggering for me right now is this thought of how for a while I was almost, not that I saw it as a burden, but uncomfortable with, when the realization came that this this uh, relationship I have with the sea and surfing, to have something that's such a strong passion in my life is, is a real gift. Um, and then feeling that sense of responsibility that I have this amazing thing in my life, then how, how do I use it? Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling like, well, I can't waste it. Um, but also then struggling because something like surfing is always considered quite a selfish pursuit. Um, mm-hmm. It's very personal, individualistic. Um, it's all about, you know, seeking the next way of getting your fill. Um, and somehow that never really, always oh, that never really sat um, so well with me. Uh, <laughs> And and I guess that for a while I've been circling around, well, how do you, you know, share something like that? That's such, for me, it's such an intimate thing. It is a close personal relationship that I have. Um, and then finding a way to, to open that up. Um, and so part of that began with 
using surfing as a vehicle to go out and explore the world. Um, and in that way, as it as much as it guided me, I used it as a lens to better understand places I went to and people I met. And, and then you find, too, when you're part of something like that, um, that's so strong, it is a great connector, actually, because you have this global wave riding tribe um, all around the world, despite all the other differences, like social and cultural and religious. And and so I guess I really hit upon a big um, uh, turning point in my life, um, probably in 2010, so like five years ago, when I used that same sort of pioneering sense of adventure and exploration and took my surfing to explore <laughs> a corner of the world that really isn't on anyone's, uh, you know, uh, any surfer's collective bucket list um, of must-surf destinations. And it took me to this really remote um, part of the world um, in a desert and inside the eastern part of Iran. And um, yeah, it's, I guess, well, this is a probably, it's a big story for who I am now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I think, um, I'm, I'm not sure how best to go from here. Um, Yeah, it's it's getting. I suppose it's getting back to um, that when it comes to sort of seeking what you're most passionate about. Um, how do you sort of live your passion? All these things that you're told to do, and um, I guess for me, in part, it was finding where that had come from. Um, this connection with the sea, um, and knowing that it was such a positive force in my life, but. I guess almost wanting to go deeper than that. So that how do you share something that you're that passionate about to create a, a depth of understanding and connection with other people, really, um, which might sound crazy in the surfing world, <laughs> um, which isn't really about the sort of giving and sharing. It's usually it gets really competitive and people are hunting for their waves. And But this experience was unique because it was a part of the world where I guess surfing had it didn't exist. I went in 2010. There was no surf culture. There was no one surfing. Um, and, you know, it was it was like this blueprint. Uh, that, I mean, as in you could create your own blueprint. There wasn't any blueprint for how, it, how surfing should be done. And I suppose in that way, it's only now looking back at it. And there's parallels, obviously, with uh, my own history <laughs> with you know, my grandmother in Ireland and my dad surfing and, and it, there not being any surf scene in Ireland and then I happened to yeah I, I didn't see it that way at all at the time hmm. but come, come across this corner of the world where people are experiencing something like surfing for the very first time and to be in the mix of shaping that story um, it was really quite powerful As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Oh. So let's talk about that in a bit more depth. I'm really interested in, in what it's like to effectively create uh, a cultural blueprint and a heritage in a place where there wasn't one. <laughs> well, yeah. Um... Yes, it's almost when you put it that way. It's really, <laughs> it's like, well, holy wow. Um, well, I know it's not quite like that. I guess it's still, you know, it's a story in in the making. But mm-hmm. going back, it it was, um, I guess, really exciting. I mean, because it was that sense of unknown, um, not knowing how something like that was going to be received. And in the beginning, to be honest, that sense of um, definitely having a beginner's mindset, uh, borderline naivety of not really knowing the fullness of the the whole story of where we were going because I went with very much the surfer's mindset of uh, researching the coast, figuring out when the best swell season was, what were the best chances of discovering waves. And so it was that sense of um, discovering, you know, uncharted territory and, and all of that um, that initially drove me. And that wasn't really considered a combination of, being a woman and mm-hmm. surfing and Iran. I mean, you put that in the mix, <laughs> except that whenever you told anyone that just, there was total disbelief and people just thought you were crazy um, and probably still do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and to be honest, I mean, the first time we went, it uh, was just myself surfing and this other woman, Marion Poiseau, who's a filmmaker. So she was there with her camera. I was there at my surfboard. It was almost misadventure from the beginning because our mutual friend or colleague who'd organized the whole trip didn't even show up. Um, and I'd never met, we'd never met each other before. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of bonded by this sense of, well, we're here now. <laughs> and, you know, let's just go for it. Um, and it, it, it ended up being really worth it, but quite a struggle initially to get the story out there um, and to have that accepted. But once it was, as in... Uh, Marion released a short film, like five minutes long, um, of that first journey in 2010 of, of me surfing, covered up in a hijab on this the edge of this desert. 
And the exciting thing that came from that was that it created a lot of buzz like um, internationally in the mainstream, um, but also within Iran, it got picked up mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube by other sportswomen in the country who are already pioneering their own sports, finding a way to follow their passion against the odds, so already breaking new ground and pioneers in their own right, um, who got really excited that this could be possible in their own country. Because the reason I think it hadn't happened up until that point is that it's such a remote part of Iran, which is a vast country, and it's a really poor and isolated part of Iran too, um, in the region of Balochistan. So I mean, it's not even on the radar for Iranian people to go and visit. So, <laughs> um, and you know, it's not a, it's not like Indo or Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's surf, but it's you know, it's I suppose not world class, but beautiful empty beaches. And so the motivation then came through uh, this almost open invitation to explore more uh, the experience of surfing as a woman in a place like that. And that really excited me because here was the chance to share what I was most passionate about and to understand what that felt like for the first, like do like surfing for the first time in a place where it had never been done before. Like almost tapping back into the unconscious memories of what was it like for me the first time I surfed. Um, and it was really beautiful. And it led to this um, return journey, um, the next adventure in 2013, um, with two other young Iranian women, Shala and Mona. Mm-hmm. Mona is a professional snowboarder and Shala is a swimmer. And and so it's just a really uh, exciting shared journey across all these um all these barriers, as you could imagine. So, you know, one of the things you said is that there was a struggle initially, which, you know, knowing as little that I do about, you know, how women are perceived in these in, in Middle Eastern cultures or, you know, surfing with a hijab and those kinds of things. Talk to me about the struggle mm-hmm. of getting this story out and what challenges mm-hmm. you faced and how you overcame them. Yeah, it's it's funny because then I mentioned this, like the struggle and challenges, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, women surfing in Iran. And usually it tends, what immediately springs to mind is maybe the gender or religious mm-hmm. um, challenges. And, you know, they they exist, but it's like any culture that you go to in the world that isn't your own and you find a way to sort of, you know, park your judgments and be open to a new experience. Um but really, the I mean, the struggle and challenge came more with, um, yeah, it, it was just too big a leap for a lot of people to make that we could, A, do something like this, that we had this vision and story. It, it Yeah, it just was very hard for people to make that kind of connection um, so far removed from their views of of a place that they'd never been to um until you actually until we actually showed people (laughs) and it was almost like you know yeah it was so having then having to have that trust that we could pull something like this off with no one really believing that we could (laughs) and also not knowing there's a risk not knowing how it would be received doing this as women for the first time because there was no blueprint and no set of rules it could open up this a wonderful space to explore and for, you know, a freedom that wouldn't otherwise have been there if there was a whole set of rules about how it should be done, but also running the risk that it might just be immediately shot down. Um, and yeah, so that was really the, the struggle was was being up against um, a lot of resistance mm-hmm. because it didn't fit the norm. Um, and even in the surfing world, it, you know, how do you market that? Um, <laughs> of uh, yeah, there are these you know amazingly talented young women who want to surf, and then they're covered, you know, covered from head to toe, and um, it's not the bikinis and palm tree thing. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, when you're talking about Iran, and you're just like, can't come. Well, I, to be honest, was really ignorant when I first um before I first went too of not even knowing that a coastline exposed to any surf and you're just there's a lot of new concepts to get across to people all at once <laughs> it can be a challenge yeah hmm. you know so I, you know, I, I've been thinking through kind of what the entire thread of this story has been and in so many ways your life is effectively a, a blueprint of these stories in this heritage and 
I'm really, I guess, interested in how we figure out what the blueprint of, you know, our own heritage is in our own lives and how we translate that into something meaningful in the world. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're really pulling out, unraveling. I feel like you're totally unraveling. <laughs> well, you should have expected that. You knew what you were getting yourself into. I know, I know. It's great, though. What fun. Um, yeah, isn't it fascinating? The the sort of I, I this this whole like the storytelling the power of the storytelling and the stories we tell ourselves and I suppose even when you asked about our passion and then for me questioning well where does that even come from mm-hmm. and okay I've had this you know constant connection with the sea and I've been surfing my whole life um, but then and even you know exploring that further back how did it, it catch me in that way and I suppose I didn't even see that. Like, that we have this sort of genetic um, storytelling code, <laughs> um, these threads that go so far back that we we are still woven into our lives that we're carrying forward. And it wasn't until I actually was in the most unlikely of places. And I was literally in this village on the edge of this desert with a local like Baluchi tribe who are the first local people there to, that we taught how to surf. Um, bearing in mind that the first surfers... Um, in Iran are now women. Mm-hmm. So the only way for other people to learn, um, including men and boys, is to learn from from women <laughs> initially, um, which was a really incredible experience. But it opened up a space, I suppose, that wouldn't have otherwise been there to explore other issues and, and share these stories um, uh, with, with people who might not ever have had a chance to otherwise. Um, and everyone's, you know, a lot more relaxed having experienced this, this buzz and stoke of surfing for the first time. So barriers are, have been dropped at least momentarily. And then there was a lot of talk about, I guess, their curiosity of what brought me there, mm-hmm. um, and telling my story. Um, and I've, I've told my story before, but this was kind of different. And it was, it was one of the, the local, um, young, young men that taught to surf, um, and his, his, funnily enough, it's, there's three brothers, um, who've started surfing and, and become really as what is the, now the first surfing family in Iran, in this village called Ramen. Um, and so I was trying, I was linking it back to, well, you know, I'm from the first surfing family in Ireland. Um, you know, we were putting two and two together and they just thought it was, you know, they made the connection that then I suppose with my grandmother and, you know, how she came back and even if it was inadvertently started the surfing scene in the northwest of Ireland. And here I was, you know, southeastern Iran, you know, bringing as many surfboards as I could carry over <laughs> and you know, sharing them on a the beach and seeing what happened. Um so that made me realize the power of of not only I suppose the stories we tell ourselves or that we're we're told but what we carry um you know in terms of our heritage mm-hmm. um is is such a powerful thing and it's a force that comes out in our lives uh in in one way or another consciously or unconsciously and I suppose it excites me now because we're bringing this more conscious awareness to it it's in hyper focus right now (laughs) um in this in this chat with you um yeah I I didn't think I've answered your question I think this is something we need to explore though (laughs) you know it's interesting I guess that takes me to another question having you know grown up as an Indian American uh, about you know, why certain things um, like surfing maintain, you know, this sort of timelessness to them and they're passed on from generation to generation. And yet in the culture I'm growing up in, I'm seeing more and more that a good amount of my heritage is probably not going to be passed on um, and going to be lost, maybe by choice, uh, because I don't identify with it entirely. and strangely, you know, the thing that I will probably pass on to, you know, whatever kids I have or, you know, whoever follows is surfing. Um, and I'm really interested in why you think we start to lose heritage and, you know, how we can keep that from happening. Mm. Um, well, it's a really interesting question, obviously, as um, 
an Irish person as well. <laughs> and we're not we're known to be pretty connected to our roots mm-hmm. in that sense. Um but it's something I I've been more aware of because I've because I've traveled um and realized that there that this is that I have such a strong connection to where I'm from um in terms of my heritage and who I am and how I identify with that. And yet being from Ireland and Irish people, and we've always been really mobile as a society. Um, and and yet you see the big changes happening here now culturally. Um, it's so many parts of our, our society and culture and, and that heritage is changing um, and may, may actually be lost. Um, but... Yeah, I I, want, I wonder about this too, because then, then I'm in places like Iran where there's also such a strong heritage and attachment, like, like the identity of being Persian and how that carries through collectively is a sense of, um, you know, pride, authenticity, um, the, the legends that we tell ourselves that there's these heroes that we're somehow descended from. <laughs> and in that way, I suppose, even growing up in Ireland with all the myths and legends and it, it didn't seem so dissimilar. Um, but I think it's more to do with, and I find with surfing, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to pass on. So I really hope that happens, Srini. <laughs> um, because it's this thing that what I'm trying to probably get at here is that how I see surfing is that it has potential to be so much more fluid and, and really border crossing, um, literally because of the very medium that it is, mm-hmm. but in a way has the potential to be able to weave together through all these different cultures like regardless of our heritage and um and our culture but i think rather than diluting or losing them it actually connects them and mm. uh, i for me it gives me a greater understanding of other cultures and the differences but allows for a you know an, a tolerance of them mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah no, uh, as well as questioning parts of my own heritage <laughs> You know, I think perhaps that is one of the things that has always stuck with me as very special about it is that it kind of transcends every sort of thing that separates us. You know, race, religion, age, all of it is kind of gone uh, in the context of surfing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, that's one of the most powerful metaphors um, that we can apply in our lives, which is... That yeah, that transcendence part. It's almost like that. Well, how do you come back from the mountain? How do you come back ashore after these you know, heightened experiences? And it's it's the fact that it's so powerful because you experience in those moments surfing. Um, it's like this. I best describe it as literally all those barriers um, that we put up within ourselves mm-hmm. and between ourselves and our environment and each other that dissolve. Like it literally, when we talk about identity, when you're surfing, I often feel, especially in those like big wave environments, um, that the ocean will strip you of all of that. Um, so that it gets to the point where it really doesn't matter. Like the ocean doesn't discriminate and doesn't care whether you're a man or a woman or, <laughs> or, or, or whoever you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's that's what can be so freeing about it because yeah it's sort of it really dissolves all of that um, all that stuff and baggage that we we carry on to um, and it, you know in that way that um, I think instead of you you know you've you made the comment about how this sort of surfing culture. Um, has has remained so constant or hasn't changed so much and i think it's actually maybe it's the other way around is that it's because it's not static (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, like a lot of our you know cultures and heritage are very old and slow moving let's say if not static and um whereas surfing has has been is almost in in opposition in that it it the whole identity culture and all of that that you carry on land you're able to let that go in a sense, um, which can be really scary too, because it sort of exposes, um, sort of, yeah, it's like a deep dive, isn't it? And you expose your vulnerabilities as well in those mm-hmm. moments, confronted by uh, waves in the ocean, let's say. Yeah, yeah. No, doubt. So I want to ask you so, one last one, question about this, this um, journey piece. You know, you'd yeah. mentioned this idea of following a passion against the odds which I think is ultimately the story of almost every single guest here. 
And I'm interested in what you think it is that enables people to do that. Mm. Yeah, when we, it, it's it's interesting. I I've, I <laughs> anytime you ask these kind of sticky questions, I immediately uh, see my mind going to an experience of okay, how does that relate to when I'm surfing, <laughs> and then translating it back to okay, now I'm on land. Um, but really, I think it's like you know those moments you have, um, and this is a, a metaphor I think for life in general, where you're a lot of the time it happens. I mean, it's not very glamorous. Ninety like most of the time when you're surfing, you're actually getting uh, you, you're getting beat up by the ocean, let's say. But you're, it doesn't kind of make sense, this sort of relentless pursuit um, to, to find the sort of perfect wave to get the, that ride of the day. And you're battling your way through, it just seems like almost sometimes the ocean has this personal vendetta against you and you're just getting smashed by wave after wave after wave. And you're literally going nowhere or maybe you're even being pushed backwards. And yet you just keep trying, moving forward. And you're close to exhaustion and you feel so close to giving up like you just want to let go and not in the good sense of the word and and you're waiting for that moment that break and and then almost when you're just about ready to give up then you get it and um and it's it's sort of like the, my point being like the effort reward thing often doesn't balance out when you're <laughs> when you're surfing I mean you ride when it lasts for like moments seconds and you've just spent hours you know battling the elements right. um right but, but it's like you but you you know that you just that's what you have to do um even though you're battling against all the odds I'm not sure where that comes from unless I can relate it to is it is it more than just the the feeling that we're seeking um that we know how it is that we want to feel and we know if we're not um, living that truth, that that's a lot more unbearable than, than struggling against all the odds. Mm. Um, and it's that sort of, I suppose when you're really driven by your passion as well, it's that sense of commitment, you know, you know that it's like that when the surfer commits to the drop, that moment when you take off on the wave and and you take that and it is like a drop and you take that risk and you don't know how it's going to end but you know if you're like a hundred percent committed 110 percent then the chances of making it are, are far higher but right. if you have a moment of hesitation or doubt <laughs> uh you're going to get smashed yeah um, yeah wow so uh, iski this has been really really insightful and eye-opening and uh really different than a lot of the conversations we've had here on the show. So I want to close with my final question, which I know you've heard me ask, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, it's, yeah, I knew this was coming. <laughs> and then, um, it's not a question you can prep for. Um, I think, what is it that makes someone unmistakable? I think it's what we what we've been talking about, maybe um, you know, all along, and it's that for me, what makes someone unmistakable is that moment of it's the like the most unmistakable moment for me when you see someone. When, when it all aligns is when I suppose we've we're holding the fullness of that moment of that experience that we're in um, without putting judgment on it and yet we're so present and committed we're not holding anything back um, and we've we've given it our all and we've let go and literally take you know if you're talking about an edge we've taken that, that leap off the edge and we're for the moment just enjoying the exhilaration of of that that jump <laughs> of taking the leap of making the drop on that wave um and and committing to what comes next without even knowing what that might be um and trusting in that process 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, well I want to go surfing now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, well, Iski, this has been absolutely amazing. And I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share some of your stories and your insights uh, and your journey with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. Oh, thank you so much, Srini. It was, felt like a great exploration. <laughs> awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.